Welcome everyone, it's time for a look at Amazon. As I'm sure most of you've heard, they reported their Q1 results. They were overall a disappointment to the market. The market did not receive it well. In fact, we have headlines like this from the Wall Street Journal, from the first page, the front page of the Wall Street Journal that say, Amazon posts its first quarterly loss since 2015 as costs and the Rivian stake weigh on results. These headlines look really bad. If we go even further, just today they have another headline on Amazon. They say that the flagship online shopping business stalls after decades of growth. Amazon's basically done growing, right? That's the story that the market is getting. And because of this, we have the stock selling down. It's down 12.57% today. That was after hours, after investors saw the earnings. And then, you know, over the past five days, it's basically down just about that much, about 12%. So as of right now, Amazon trades around $2,500 a share. That's after the 12% drop. It's trading at $2,500. And my cost basis on my large position in Amazon, I have an outsized position, which means I have more allocated to it than the the index, the S&P 500. My cost basis on that is around $3,000 per share. So I'm in the red on this company right now. It's below my cost basis. My discounted cash flow analysis, my sum of the parts valuation and the research that I've done on the company lead me to believe that it's worth somewhere around the range of $4,800 per share. That's what I think the fair value of Amazon is. So it's trading at $2,500 a share. I think right now today, it's worth $4,800 a share. So there's a massive disconnect between what the market sees the value in this company and what I see the value in this company. Now, I understand it's difficult to say, hey, the market is wrong, I'm right, right? My fair value estimate's correct and the market's just getting this wrong. And sometimes that can sound like you have hubris or you are, uh, you know, you're overly confident or whatnot. But what I look at is the market we're in right now. For example, we can look at Google here. Google's a great company. Most people agree that Google is undervalued. It's down 21% from its recent highs. YouTube grew at 14%. The ad business grew above 20%. The company just announced $70 billion in share buybacks, but yet Google's still trading down. No matter how good this company does, the stock price is trading down from where it was just a couple months ago. There is downward pressure on this market, even companies that are doing incredible. Adobe is another company that's a cash generating machine. It has a strong moat. It has high amounts of free cash flow. It doesn't dilute shareholders. It does share buybacks. This company's down 38% from its all-time highs just a couple months ago. In November, it was trading above $688 a share. The market doesn't like this company. No matter the numbers that it's posting, the market is selling out of this company. Even Microsoft, beating on the top line, beating on the bottom line, having an incredibly wide moat. This company has Azure growing like a weed. It's growing 50% year over year, yet the market doesn't really love it right now. It's down 17% from its November high, like we're seeing with all these companies. We can look at Apple. Apple beat on literally almost every part of their report. They beat on their top line. They beat on their bottom line. They sold more phones than they're supposed to. They sold more services than they're supposed to. They sold in every single category except for iPads. iPads was the only category they didn't beat. And the company's down 10% in the month. Apple's down 10%, despite the fact they just announced $90 billion in share buybacks. So I look at this and see that it doesn't really matter too much the type of report you're putting up right now. The market doesn't seem to be rewarding these companies. Now, I'm not showing this to make excuses for Amazon. Their report in specific has its own issues that we'll talk about in just a minute. But I am showing it just to give some context. Whether you're looking at Apple or Microsoft or Google or Adobe or any real similar company in that vein, most of them have traded down over the past week. There's just 
just a lot of downward pressure right now. Now, Amazon's report had some specific parts in it that I think dragged it down even more. And I think that this was by far the big thing that caused the 10% sell-off. There's a couple things you could point at. I think it was this. This is their second quarter 2022 guidance. Net sales are expected to be between 116 billion and 121 billion or to grow between three and 7%. So they're expected to grow somewhere around 11% and now they're saying three to 7%. So they're giving lowered guidance for next quarter. And I think that's the big reason that investors bailed on the company. It looks like growth is slowing for Amazon. They say this guidance anticipates unfavorable impact of approximately 200 basis points on foreign exchange rates. So the foreign exchange rates is something that does hurt Amazon right now. Operating income loss is expected to be between 1 billion and 3 billion compared with 7.7 .7 billion in the second quarter of 2021. That was also below expectations. They said this guidance assumes that Prime Day occurs in the third quarter of 2022. So that's something that I didn't realize how big of an impact these one day, like things like Prime Day and Christmas are on, on Amazon. I realize Christmas is a big impact, but Prime Day is pretty significant. They actually model the entire revenue of the company differently depending on the day that Prime Day falls in. And since they moved it out of second quarter into third quarter, they're modeling less revenue overall for the quarter. So that's pretty incredible. This Prime Day has such a huge impact. But I think that that second quarter guidance was a big part of why the company had the 10 to 12% drop. And I think it's why investors are just looking at this company as kind of dead money, right? We have this next quarter coming up. It's going to be slow growth. We're not going to get like any type of huge stock spike in, in the next three months. And so a lot of investors that are looking for gains tomorrow, they're looking to make gains quickly. They know that Amazon is likely considered dead money, meaning it's just going to float around in the same area for at least the next three months. And if you're kind of impatient. If you want to get into a company that's moving along and doing things right now, you might bail out on Amazon and say, look, this company's dead money. They're not really growing quickly. They gave really soft guidance, lower than expectations. I'm going to take my money out of Amazon and move on to a different company. And I think that's where investors get this a little wrong. These top line estimates of the 3 to 7% revenue growth I don't think is how you should measure growth with Amazon. I really don't. And I think it's the same mistake that investors make with Apple. Apple has overall very slow top line growth. They grew by 9% last quarter. It's not a fast growing company, but Apple has other profitable parts of their company underneath that top line that are growing at a much quicker pace. And likewise, when you look at Amazon with this three to 7% growth, there's a lot of other parts of the company that are growing much quicker. So let's go ahead and jump into this earnings report and take a deeper look of what's going on. All right, so here we are with the Amazon earnings report. And right off the bat, they have a bunch of highlights that investors just hate to see. They really don't wanna see this stuff, at least in this market, this bearish market. This stuff might be allowed normally in like a bullish market where people are just concerned about optimism and future. But when they're concerned about real cash flows right now today, this isn't the stuff they wanna see. For example, most value investors will look at the free cash flow line. They'll see that it decreased to an outflow of 18.6 billion for the trailing 12 months. So that's not just this last quarter. This is over the past 12 months, the past trailing year. But it's a operating or a free cash flow outflow of almost 20 billion dollars. So over the past 12 months, they've lost almost 20 billion dollars. And this is compared with an inflow of 26.4 billion for the trailing 12 months ending March 31st, 2021. Now we can look at the free cash flow history on Qualtrum Insights. This website and tool is available to Patreon members. So if you wanna try it out for free, you can join the Patreon. Let's go ahead and bring up the free cash flow here. Again, free cash flow is the amount of money in, the amount of money out. That's all, no other context. 
doesn't show what the money's going to, if it's going to be accretive for the company, what they're paying for. Doesn't it doesn't even show you if they they generated the free cash flow by selling more shares. Many companies have free cash flow. That's just because they're diluting the shareholder or they're selling investments or they're selling factories or something, right? All free cash flow does is tell you money in, money out that quarter that year with no other context. So you have to look at the context of what they're doing with this. But Amazon has this frustrating thing going on with their free cash flow line item where in 2017, when Amazon was like a quarter of the size they currently are, they posted positive free cash flow of $6.4 billion. And then it's only gone up by multiples since then to $17 billion in 2018, 19 or $21 billion in 2019. And just in 2020, they posted $25.9 billion in free cash flow. Now you might say, this is all because of the stimulus. They're only a good company when there's stimulus. Well, before the stimulus, back in 2019, they posted $21 billion of free cash flow. That was before any stimulus was given out. So Amazon can post positive free cash flow on a very consistent basis without a stimulus environment. And what we're seeing right now, last year in 2021, they posted minus $14.7 billion in free cash flow. What's going on here? Where's this money going? What are you doing with it, right? This is a question that investors have. And then comparing that to the most recent quarter, they say that that outflow has increased from the, the 14 billion to 18.6 billion for the trailing 12 months. So their free cash flow is just getting worse and worse. They're paying for a lot of stuff. They're buying a lot of stuff and they don't give a lot of transparency into where this money's going. They don't have a big thing that says, here's all this free cash flow and exactly where it's going. You have to kind of dig and, and find that out for yourself. But as of right now, what we know right now going through this report is they have a ton of money, almost $20 billion in the last 12 months, just going out of the company. We don't really know what it's for. And the year prior to that in 2020 was much better. They had positive money coming in. So it seems like things are moving in the wrong direction. Now we also have this glaring problem right here. The net loss so this was what Wall Street Journal highlighted on their big front page right after the earnings report. Amazon has the first loss in a decade. Wow. The company has the first net loss. A net loss of $3.8 billion for the first quarter. Now, keep in mind, to add some context here, that includes a paper loss of their investment in Rivian of $7.6 billion dollars. So Amazon invested in this company, Rivian, and the stock price went through the moon. It went to a, a bubble territory and Amazon had to record this net income gain of like billions of dollars because Rivian was valued at $100 billion. Then the bubble popped, Rivian came back down in price, and now Amazon has to record that as a loss from last quarter, $7.6 billion. But they really didn't lose any money on this company. They're still in the green overall on it. And if you exclude the $7.6 billion loss that Amazon took on from the Rivian stake, they actually made about $4 billion this quarter. So their net income line would have been positive $4 billion. And the Wall Street Journal wouldn't have been able to run that, that scary headline, Amazon is losing money, a net income loss for the first time in a decade, right? That is caused because of the Rivian stake. Now, having said that, the operating income doesn't include the Rivian stake, and that was still only $3.7 billion compared with $8.9 billion for the last year. So even excluding for the Rivian stake, it still doesn't look pretty. Their operating income 
decreased by over half year over year, down to 3.7 billion. So that's what we know so far. And I think this is where most investors kind of stop their, their research. They read some of the top line information. They look at the next quarter's forecast. They're looking at these numbers and seeing that growth is slowing down. They're moving prime day from Q2 to Q3. It looks like it's going to be another slow or dead quarter. And then they're looking at the cash flows and they're seeing cash flows moving out of the company. Doesn't seem like it's stopping anytime real soon. And it just seems like there's better opportunities. And I totally understand if investors see it that way. But I want to go and dive a little bit deeper into this report because I think there's some things that are very, very important to highlight that I think most investors are missing. First of all, they do give a ray of hope with their CapEx spend. We know that Amazon has been spending a fortune to build out all their infrastructure and their delivery network. And that's where a lot of those billions of dollars of outflows over the past 12 months have gone. But they say today, as we're no longer chasing physical or staffing capacity, they're no longer staffing up. That's a huge expense for Amazon. All those bonuses they're doing, hiring hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of people, they're no longer doing that. They say our team are squarely focused on improving productivity and cost efficiencies throughout our fulfillment network. And Amazon has made multiple statements like this throughout their earnings call as well, saying that they're they're going to basically cut back on CapEx and focus more on efficiencies and profitability. That's exactly what a lot of investors are looking at. Amazon not just spending endless amounts of money on growth, but actually trying to become a little bit more lean and efficient and having some of that revenue, some of that cash flow stick around. So what we're looking at right now is I think one of the most important parts of this earnings report, which is an actual breakdown of all the individual parts of Amazon's business. If you just look at the top line growth, just the overall revenue, everything will be overshadowed by their first party retail business. And that is specifically the lowest margin part of Amazon. That's where they subsidize a lot of their stuff just to sell more to make it so that their, their online store has a complete selection. There's a lot of services that Amazon has that are much higher margin that get overshadowed by that top line revenue growth. So if you just look at the Wall Street Journal headlines, you'll see that Amazon's growth is slowing down. This will actually show you the growth of the individual parts of the business. So if we look at this, the first item here, the biggest part of Amazon's revenue is their online stores, their first party seller. And they do a monstrous amount of revenue, but again, this is the lowest margin part of their company. It's extremely low margin. So even though the numbers are enormous and it makes that revenue figure look look like it's slowing overall, this isn't the most important part of the company in terms of operating margins. It went from, from 66 billion last quarter to 51 billion. So it slowed down and on a year over year basis, it went from 52.9 billion to 51.1. So it slowed down by around 3%. So you had a deceleration in their first party business. Now, let's move on to different parts of their business. They have physical stores. This includes Whole Foods and Amazon Fresh and um, Amazon Go and all the new different store concepts they're opening up. This grew at 17%. That's pretty decent growth, high teen double digit growth. We have third party sellers. This is the services. So this is where Amazon doesn't record the entire sale as revenue, just the part where they make money. So this is much higher, much higher margin than the first party business. Third party sellers grew by 7%. That's steady growth, even with a lot of headwinds, even with a lot of consumer issues, the high margin part of the business grew by 7% year over year. Now, moving on, we have the next item here, which is another service oriented business, which is their subscription services. This is another high margin, important part of their business. And it doesn't just mean Amazon Prime memberships. That's not all this is. It includes 
uh, like the Ring doorbell, those subscriptions. It includes their their fitness watches, Kindle, uh, um, Amazon Music, so on and so forth. All that various stuff. They bundle all those different subscription services together and they give you a total number. And I can't stress this enough. The number overall is only 8.4 billion last quarter. Seems like a small number, especially compared to the 51 billion they did in top line uh, or in their online stores. So if you just compare these numbers one to one, then it looks like this one is more important. But again, the margins on the subscription services are dramatically higher. So even though they pull in less revenue, they keep far more of it and it's a more profitable part of the company. If I was looking at Apple and doing analysis on Apple, which I've done, I look at the service parts of the business as the most meaningful part of growth. How much is Apple going to grow their Apple Music and Apple TV and their Apple uh, Cloud? Are they going to move to a, a hardware as a service, right? That service part of the business is way more meaningful than if Apple grows their top line revenue by 5 or 10%. That's great. But the part that you want to grow the most is the most high margin part of the company. So when I look at Amazon, I try to apply that same thinking. The top line revenue is heavily affected by this number here from their online store. But the Subscription services are growing pretty quickly. It grew by 11% year over year. That's double digit growth for their subscription service. And then that's not the only high margin part of the business. Advertising is incredibly high margin. Um, it's actually probably more high margin than their AWS business. And their advertising last quarter was $7.87 billion. That is a 23% growth year over year. So the advertising portion of Amazon where they sell ads on their IMDb TV or their freebie, they sell ads on uh, you know, amazon.com, the sponsored listings, where they're selling ads, they're growing faster than Google, which is an ad business. That's been their business all along. This 23% growth is faster than Google and it's double the rate of growth that YouTube just posted at like 14%, so just shy of double. That is very fast growth in their advertising business. And again, this is incredibly high margin. So the high margin parts of this company, the third party seller grew at 7%. The subscription services grew by 11%. The advertising so far has grown by 23%. Those are the high margin parts. The low margin part shrunk by 3%. Now moving on after that, we have the biggest part of the company, I think the most meaningful part, which is AWS, Amazon's web services. Everyone knows that this is a good part of the company. It's highly debated what it's currently worth though. Um, what I can say is that AWS continues to grow at a very steady pace. Last quarter, they recorded growth of 37%. 37%, slower than Google Cloud Pro, that's correct, slower than Microsoft Azure, but it's already much bigger. It's a much bigger service, so they're they're growing at a bigger size, still at 37%. I think that's pretty decent. In my opinion, the only one that could catch up and possibly beat them is Microsoft. I think they're the only one capable of doing that. I still think it's unlikely, but if they do, so what? I own about as much Microsoft stock as I do uh, Amazon. I am so bullish on cloud overall. That's why I own Amazon, Microsoft, and Google as three of my biggest, biggest holdings by far. Now, this is what most people looked at again, just the 37% growth in AWS, which in and of itself is just tremendous. AWS did $18.4 billion in revenue last quarter. That is pretty incredible. Now, to give this more context, we can look at this nice chart here provided by Alex Morris on Twitter. He puts together all these nice charts. And this one is the AWS run rate revenues, which is 
how much they revenued last quarter times four. So you just look at how much conservatively they would make over the next year. And this shows it plotted out quarter by quarter. You can see visualized here AWS's growth. It is pretty tremendous. This is a growth part of Amazon. And last quarter, it grew again by 37%. Now that will decelerate a little bit. It'll go back to, you know, 35% or 30% and then the high 20s, but it will continue to grow. And even though this top line growth from AWS is impressive, there's more parts of this that are more impressive. So most investors are focused on that top line growth of AWS and they compare that to Microsoft Azure, they compare it to Google Cloud. But I think another thing that investors are mostly forgetting about with this top line number is profitability. AWS is very, very profitable. And the margins of it, they said, went from 29% to 35%. Now they have 35% margins last quarter on AWS. Google Cloud is growing faster, but it's still not profitable. The margins are increasing for Google Cloud. I think it's a good investment, but AWS is not only growing at a very fast pace, but it's already a massive company and it has 35% margins. Now, one last thing that I think is well worth mentioning on the subject of AWS is in the Q&A section at the tail end of the call, um, they highlight something important here. And this comes back to an accounting rule that happened in 2018. They made this new rule that publicly traded companies have to disclose, it was a disclosure rule, that they have to disclose their long-term commitments. So any commitment that's longer than one year, they have to disclose the amount and what it's for. And that revealed some information about AWS because AWS has a lot of customers that have long-term commitments to get different guarantees and different reductions in price. So a company might sign up and say, look, we love AWS, we're gonna build our company on it. We want a three or four year contract for like a 20% discount, right? Just hypothetically, that type of thing happens all the time. So you have these commitments, many of them are longer than one year. And this new accounting rule back in 2018 made it so that every company has to reveal and disclose what those commitments are. Now in this question, they say um, that it's an increase of AWS customers making long-term commitments. So again, this doesn't count any customer that's month over month or a contract within one year's length, this is just one year plus. They say at the March period ended, we had 88.9 billion balance for that. That's the current commitments beyond one year. So that's up around 68% year over year. And the weighted average ranking kind of in life term is 3.8 years. So AWS has this guaranteed revenue of at least 88.9 billion with an average lifespan of 3.8 years. And on top of that, the growth in their long-term commitments year over year was up 68%. This is just something people glance over. They don't even look at this. This is like the bookings for the company, their long-term commitments. And they have, you know, if you break these commitments, the companies have to pay. So this also has customer lock-in. So AWS has this continual growing forward revenue stream right now that's 88.9 billion that's up 68% year over year. They're locking in more and more customers for longer and longer durations and they're moving up this commitment to a bigger and bigger number. What I wanna do is actually look at this number and see how it progresses over time because I think, I think next quarter it could be over 100 billion. So that's what I'd point out on AWS. I think the business is stronger than investors are giving it credit for. The margins are improving, the growth rate is incredibly healthy. The amount of bookings and commitments for the future is growing at a very rapid pace, 68% year over year. Now, on the other category, I'm not really even sure what this includes, 
but it's it's 661 million dollars and it grew at 26 percent so it's a small part of the company so again when i look over all the different various aspects of amazon and then i look at the headlines and the narrative that amazon is no longer growing and the growth is basically stagnated I don't necessarily agree with that. It's true that the online retail portion, the low margin part of the business is contracting and we see the GDP numbers, right? Consumers are probably spending less on online retail and if they are spending money, they're going out and doing more experiential stuff. But we look at the services part of this company, the high margin part of the company, we have the third party seller services, that's high margin. That grew at 7%. The subscription services, that grew at 11%. The advertising services, grew faster than Google and almost double the rate of YouTube at 23%. We have AWS growing at 37%. These are all growing at a pretty steady pace, far more than the stagnant company that the media and the headlines would have you believe. And if you add up the total revenue of the service part of the company and the non-service part, services now make up 52% of total revenues. So now over 50% of Amazon is service-based revenue. So when I look over this earnings report and try to dig down on it, I, you know, I'm biased. I, I own a lot of Amazon stock. I love the company. I have a big investment in it. I think this company is heavily undervalued and will be worth much more in three or four years when market sentiment changes from the very bearish, bearish sentiment that it's in. And so I, I didn't see this as quite as bad as most investors. Now that's my take on it. I realize a lot of people disagree. They think that Amazon is heavily overvalued. And if you think that, then that's fine. Don't invest in it. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling anyone to invest in Amazon. I'm just showing you what I'm doing with my money. But when I look at Amazon, what I see is the top line revenue growth being shaky and the the low margin retail business contracting a bit because of GDP. I also see that their AWS business, highly profitable, wide moat, very difficult to compete with, grew at 37%. The margins improved on it by 29% to 35%. The backlog, the commitments went up 68% to 89 billion. That's a massive increase in one year plus commitments. The free cash flow, the big red number, right? The $18 billion of cash outflows over the trailing 12 months. I look at that and I say, well, we don't really know what that's going to, right? We know that they did a ton of CapEx. They bought more warehouses. They doubled their delivery network over the last year. But they also just did things like buy MGM. That was an $8.5 billion deal that closed last quarter. So that's $8.5 billion of that $18 billion, almost half of it. So Amazon isn't just wasting money. They're buying valuable assets like MGM to prop up their, their value proposition in Amazon Prime and take more market share. Um, their advertising grew by 23%, which is faster than Google, and almost double the rate of YouTube's ad growth. And that has a lot of growth ahead of it. In my opinion, they have the Freebie channel, which is going to compete with Roku Originals. It's one of those free little apps where they're going to be putting a lot of content on it. And I see a lot of future growth just in their advertising business. And their subscription services grew by 11%. Their physical store growth was 17%. Their third-party sellers were 7%. So overall, I look at this and I really don't see it as as bad as the media is portraying it. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and look at the damage to the portfolio. We know that Amazon is down like 12% today. Major holding of mine. So I'm down $30,000 overall and I have 97,400 in value. If I just flip to the one day here, it's down $6,000, 5.9%, which is kind of sad because the day before Amazon's or the day of Amazon's earnings report, I was up $5,000 and then Amazon tanked 12% or whatever. So I'm back down to where I was the day before. Now, if we look at this just today, it's down $5,700. 
Google's down 1.64%. Microsoft's down 2%. Netflix is down 1.45%. Alibaba's up. I don't know what's going on there, but it's up 500 bucks, 9.5%. And then Salesforce and Adobe and Apple, all of these companies are moving down. Right now, the market does not like this portfolio, Amazon included. And that doesn't necessarily surprise me. We have GDP turning negative. We have interest rates rising. We have a lot of talk of recession coming up. And people run for the exits from tech companies when that happens. Now, I have the choice of either staying invested in these companies that I think are undervalued and I think they'll have very good five-year returns or going into the very defensive companies. I realize I could go into Clorox and oil companies and you know pile into Costco and all the defensive companies, but I just don't think that's the best move to go where everybody's going right now. Everyone's seeking safety in other companies besides these ones. And I'm just going to stay put. I'm going to stay put in these companies and continue to dollar cost average in. Now, when we look at these returns, the money way to looks a little odd. Let me go ahead and go to the earnings page here. This might make it a little bit easier to see. I'm down 34,800 with my current holdings. So my current holdings are actually down more than my portfolio overall. With my actual realized gain or loss, I've realized about $5,000 in gains. So all of my losses right now, literally 100% of my losses are unrealized. And so far, the selling I've done with this portfolio has been at a net gain. So if we look at this on a holding by holding basis, we have the top holding, which is Amazon. My average share price is 3,072 and I'm down 18% as of right now, which is $8,200. Now, Amazon is down around 30% from its all-time highs. I'm down 18% and I wouldn't be surprised in this market if it continues to just kind of trail off and and trade down for a while. I think it is likely that Amazon will be kind of dead money for the next next quarter. So if you're looking for uh, quick gains or you're not willing to be patient with Amazon, then it's probably not a good company to hang around with. But I haven't changed my thoughts on Amazon. To me, this earnings report was not nearly as bad as the, the market reaction. Google's down also over 20% from its all-time highs. I'm down 1.95% now. So I've entered back into the red even on Google. Another company that I think is very undervalued. I think that Google's probably just a, a cleaner, kind of safer bet than Amazon. There's less moving parts. They're in profit mode. They've already shifted to, to profits and just returning money through share buybacks. So I think this one will be less volatile going forward. But even with Google, I'm now entering into the red. Microsoft was another one that I was heavily in the green. It's given up a lot of its gains. It's down about 15, 16% from its all-time highs. And I'm only in the green by 3%. Netflix, of course, is the the one that hit my portfolio the hardest. This one has been disastrous. The company seems to be contracting. I continue to hold it because I think there's a decent chance that the damage is already priced in. But this one by far has been the most damaging part of the portfolio. I'm down $17,000, which is 62%. Alibaba is down 43%. It went down quite a bit to 40%, then to 50% down. Now it's back to 43%. And honestly, it's kind of floated around this territory of me being down 40% for like three or four months. I don't think it's really gone too far. So I think there's a chance we've kind of leveled out with it. But Alibaba is one that I'm going to continue to hold over the next five years. I think there's a chance this one will continue to grow. And if anything actually moves in the positive for a change with the US and China and relationship, uh, I think this one could see some upside. So I'm not giving up on Alibaba as of now. Now, moving on, we even have Salesforce. This is a great company, and I'm down 12% on it, $776. We have Adobe. 
another highly profitable free cash flow generative company that doesn't dilute its shareholders. It buys back its shares and it's down 9.81%. These two companies are down over 40% from their all-time highs. It's an incredible sell-off on what I think are two of the best assets in the market. We have Apple, obviously, like the best company in the world. I'm up 23% on this, which is, you know, $897. And even this one has given up a lot of its gains as of recent. The earnings report on Apple, I literally thought was as perfect as it gets. They beat on everything, top line, bottom line. They impress on growth. They impress on revenue. Uh, because they gave a little bit of soft guidance for next quarter, saying that they're going to have some some issues with manufacturing, um, similar to Amazon. They gave soft guidance and the stock still traded in the red after hours. I could not believe that. Apple gave the perfect report, announced $90 billion in share buybacks. The company still goes in the red. Now, after Apple, we have Spotify. Um, this is one that the market has completely given up on. Down 65%. It's going to be trading at a one price to sale soon. The company is really difficult to hold because they continue to do share dilution. They're not posting real free cash flow. Um, they need to find a way to become profitable. And I think that's very difficult. So this one I'm not as optimistic on as, as Amazon or Google or Microsoft. It's a much smaller position. And I haven't continued to add to Spotify. I want to see if there's really positive developments before putting any more money into this position. Now, if we compare the S&P 500 to the story fund, which I've been doing for over a year now, and I'm going to continue to do this all the way through 2025, the goal is to outperform the S&P 500 by the end of 2025. So at the end of 2025, I want to have this blue line be above the red line. Now, it's it's gone through a journey here. We've gone through some high times and through some low times. Right now, we're definitely through a low time. Um, the sell-off here, or rather the dramatic drop in the story fund right here is actually not mostly due to Amazon. It's mostly due to Netflix. So we have the Netflix drop right here, and that continued to sell off. This is where the majority of this is. And then Amazon took me down a little bit further. It was $5,000, which is roughly 5%. Now the S&P 500 has actually gone down a bit. So it's down to 6.9%. And the story fund now is down minus 21%. Now, most people look at this chart and probably think there's no way to come back from this. I'm down 26% from the S&P 500, right? That's an insurmountable lead that the S&P 500 has um, over the next three or four years. I don't think that's the case at all. I look at the market right now and it's rewarding a lot of companies in the S&P 500 that I think are getting to the point of being highly overvalued. A lot of consumer defensive companies are trading at higher valuations than tech companies. And I don't think that that's going to go on forever. Another thing that I look at is although this fall looks really dramatic, it's a dramatic fall in performance here. If you go back to just right here, the performance was minus 10%. And within one month, in fact, two weeks later, I was at positive 3%. So I did a 10% gain in two weeks. We have other times in the portfolio, like right here, I was at 4.55% and I went up to 24% in gains in a one month period. So that's a 20% performance difference in one month. If we look at another example right here, I was at 0.78% in performance. So not even 1%. And I went all the way up to 27% within a 40 day period. So a little bit over a month, we jumped up over 25%. So even though I'm trailing the S&P 500 right now, we've had this big drop, I've seen multiple times where things can change very quickly for the positive as well. And just to be clear, the companies I'm buying right now have no momentum. They all have negative momentum. They're trading down further and further and further. And I'm never going to be able to time 
the negative momentum right at the bottom. That's just not something that's going to happen. If you want quick, immediate gains, then you have to buy companies with positive momentum. Go buy your oil trade. Go buy Costco right now. Those companies have positive momentum. They've been moving upwards. They're the ones to get into right now. But I'm not looking at what's going to have the positive momentum to get a nice bump this month. What I'm looking for are companies that are being sold off because of fear that I think will be worth more in the next five years. And I really think that Amazon's one of them. And on that note, I wanna highlight a couple other things with my other portfolio. This is a dividend portfolio, but I wanna highlight a couple companies that I bought that I feel like I had a very similar experience with. When I originally purchased Apple, which has gone up $18,500 in value, it's outperformed the S&P 500 to a large extent. When I first purchased this company, you can go back and look at the comments I received a year ago. Go ahead and take a look at those comments. My first video when I said I was purchasing $20,000 of Apple. Negative comment after negative comment. Joseph, you don't know what you're doing. Invest in the S&P 500, buy the index. Apple's overvalued. Buffett bought it at a lower price. On and on and on and on. The comments were very, very intense. There's lots of people that were highly critical. And many of those comments still exist today, criticizing the Apple buy. And I've noticed that similar trend. Anytime I do a buy of a company, a big buy into it, if the stock doesn't immediately go up right afterwards, then it was a bad buy. If it goes down in the next month because it has downward momentum, it was a bad buy. And I'm, I'm not doing a good job buying that company. I've noticed that same thing over and over again. I've seen it with Costco, with Disney, with Home Depot, with Nike, with Target. Even though most of the companies that I'm buying are doing very well. Actually, they're performing well. Costco is one of them that I bought a year ago. And at the time I received so many comments that it was overvalued. The valuation was more for Costco than it was for Walmart, for example. Well, Costco has outperformed the other companies that people listed, and it's outperformed the S&P 500 over that time. And I think the best example of this, the best example of receiving a lot of criticism right after buying a big position in a new company was Vici. I was extremely excited about this company. I made in-depth research on it. I made multiple 45 minute videos on it. I was even so excited about this company that I actually interviewed the CEO. That's how much I like this company. Big real estate company, every single valuation metric of it led me to believe that it was heavily undervalued. It was great, unique properties that are hard to replicate. Um, it paid a hefty dividend. And I bought this company at around $30 per share and the stock price just went down. Went down to 29, went down to 28, went down to 27. And it went down for month after month after month right after I bought it. The comments I received were Joseph put $30,000 into this company, now he's in the red. And I'm so glad I didn't follow Joseph into this buy. He doesn't know what he's doing. The whole stock market's up and Joseph doesn't know what he's doing. In fact, let me go ahead and just highlight one of those comments. Let me go ahead and throw one of the comments. This is from five months ago. Let me go ahead and put this one on the screen. And again, you can look at any of the, the old videos on Vici when I was first buying this company and see the criticism in the comments similar to this because this is not a unique one. Adil said, Vici was a mistake. I'm glad I didn't get aboard Joseph's hype train. He's been bending over backwards for months to try to justify his bullish stance on this company. The entire market is up and Vici's down. And it has six thumbs up, 10 replies, many people saying the same thing. I'm so glad I didn't follow him into it. You know, he, he's whatever. He should have just bought the S&P 500, those type of comments. Well, since my purchase in Vici and since that comment was left, Vici has closed their acquisition deal with MGP. Investors have become more bullish on the company, exactly like I anticipated they would with this type of catalyst going forward. 
the company's it's now in the green. It's outperformed the S&P 500. It's outperformed the QQQ by a large extent. And all this has taken is for me to wait longer than a couple months, just to wait a little bit, to give it time for the company to actually do its thing and for the story to play out. So I share with you the example of Vici as well as other examples just to highlight that this is not anything new to me. Anytime I buy a company, right away, I'll receive a lot of people uh, criticizing the purchase for XYZ reason. Either it'll be overvalued like my purchase of uh, Costco and Apple, which have both been market beating returns, um, or the company is just a bad company now, it's changed gears, like my purchase of Starbucks, it's gone down a little bit. Um, the criticism is especially intense if when I buy the company, it falls in price upon buying it, right? It continues to go on a downward trend. Because I didn't time the bottom with my purchase, I'll receive a lot of criticism. And with the purchase of Amazon in this last quarter, you're gonna see the exact same thing. The truth is that most investors are very short-term focused. Whether they like to admit it or not, the price of the company dictates their sentiment. Because Amazon went down in price, they think the company's bad. If they didn't have the price change in the mix, they'd probably look at these results and think that they're pretty decent. But because the price went down, the company must be doing poorly. This is the exact same attitude I saw with my Vici purchase. I purchased Vici for an undervalued price at $30 a share, and the stock went down to 29, to 28, and 27. Because the stock price went down with literally no fundamental changes, people became bearish on the company. Sentiment moved lower. And that caused a lot of people to leave these comments that Vici was a terrible purchase, which now it's outperformed the S&P 500 and the QQQ since purchasing it. So when I look at Amazon, I know I'll receive the same things. The stock has moved down since purchasing it. My average cost basis right now is 3,000 a share, but I still remain just as bullish as I used to be. This hasn't changed my opinion or my thesis on the company at all. I still think it's worth $4,800 a share. So that's how I view this. I think the fundamental developments of Amazon are pretty positive overall. And I still believe, I still believe that over the next five years, by the end of 2025, I think Amazon will outperform the S&P 500. Those are my thoughts. There's no guarantee things could go wrong with it. But even now, after looking at this most recent report, I still believe that. Now, having said that, I have no clue of where it's going to trade in the next three months. So as I'm giving these week-by-week -week portfolio updates, I don't know where Amazon's going to be next week. It'll probably have more negative momentum, maybe trade down a little bit further. I don't know. I'm not a short-term trader. I'm not looking at technicals. I'm looking at fundamental valuation. And even though I have a strong belief it will be worth a lot more in five years, I have no clue where it's going to be in the next three months. So that's my thoughts on this earnings report. Doesn't change my thoughts at all. The price moving down doesn't change my sentiment to the negative at all on the company. I, I, I still remain bullish on it. But um, that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed the little update and I'll see you in the next one.